Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. I'm Pastor Lyle, and we've been praying for you, praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you in his word. Through it, may you see him more clearly, know him more fully, and trust him more deeply. As always, we're here to serve, so please reach out through mountainside.online if there's a specific way that we can come alongside to pray, help, or encourage you throughout the week. Join me now as we continue this study in the book of Mark. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. You uh, are joining us today. We're uh, in week four, I believe, of our study in the book of Mark. We're uh, systematically making our way through the whole book, and so you're, you're getting the opportunity to be here early on in chapter two. Um, I am uh, humbled to be able to open the word today and to be able to uh, take us through this particular passage. Today we're going to be looking uh, at verses 13 to 17. It's the calling of, of Levi Matthew. And uh, I, I've preached in this passage and even in the, the, you know, since 2017 when I started preaching regularly here, a couple different times we've looked at this passage. But today it's going to be uh, a, a completely uh, different look, a um, something uh, fresh for myself as I just asked God, like, this is a passage that I think many of us have read and read and studied or heard or memorized. It's a Sunday school lesson for those who grew up in Sunday school. Um, and my prayer today is that this would be a fresh passage, fresh eyes, um, that God would do something special in our hearts as we open the word of God together. Uh, a couple weeks ago as we, we started, if you're, if you're maybe joining us and you're going to be here for the rest of the summer, um, you know, there's some of you that, that are here that are, are just coming to town and you have camps in the area and we'd love to have you be a part of it. Would you jump online and go back and watch the intro in the first couple weeks, which would give you some of the, the information that leads you up to where we are today. Um, but uh, just for a quick review, the, the book of, of Mark is a book that really is written to a reader that would be a, a non-Jewish reader. Obviously, Jewish people are going to read it, you know, with all the customs, traditions, and understanding of the Jewish uh, traditions and scriptures, and, but it's primarily written to the Roman audience, and back in the very first chapter, we talked about Jesus being the anointed one, the Messiah. God himself anointed uh, Jesus, and he is coming as the Messiah, who the Jewish people were looking for, but they missed, and here he is uh, coming onto the scene the Roman reader would have read that very first verse about uh, the, the one who um, is the deliverer of the gospel, the good news. And we looked into that word a little bit because euagalion is uh, uh, a word that would have given the idea of a king is coming. There's something that's different about this. It's, it's the looking at a kingship. Somebody's rising to authority that's going to bring about new things. It's like inviting in a new monarch, uh, and with that new monarch, new things are going to happen uh, in this era, and Jesus certainly is somebody who does new things. Today is one of the days where, when you see what happens in these verses, um, the religious elites of the day are just not only dumbfounded by Jesus' choices, um, angry, angry. It is the beginning, in a way, of the stirring of that pot to where, ultimately, uh, they're the ones who crucify, murder Jesus. And it comes out of the things that Jesus is doing 
like in today's passage. Leading up to today, last week, we looked at in the, the first and the beginning of the second chapter, Jesus is now performing miracles, uh, signs and wonders, casting out demons. And last week, Pastor Dave talked to us about the fact that this is not for the, the making much of the miracles. The miracles was really to make much of who he was. It was an authentication of the fact that he was this king sent by God, the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And it doesn't have as much to do with the miracle as it does the message, the teaching that he was sharing. But the miracles and the signs and wonders were authenticating who he really was, the son of God. We find ourselves today in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. Okay? We're going to work our way through here. So let's, let's just stop here, and we're going, to, we're going to take our time working through these verses. Jesus goes out on the lakeshore again, out on the shore again. Back in chapter 116, we see that he was out on the shore, and it's that moment that he calls Peter and his brother Andrew. And so he's out there on the shore. So this, Mark is moving very quickly through a lot of information about Jesus. Uh, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Oh, look at this thing that Jesus did. Oh, now look at this thing that Jesus did. That's kind of the way that Mark is taking you through the life of Christ. And so back in chapter 1, we see, look at what Jesus did. He was out at the shore. Here we are a little bit later. Don't exactly know how much later. Um, many would look at some of the the. the uh, synoptic gospels and put some pieces together it's possible that that happened in the fall we've actually gone through winter and now we're probably in springtime again um, which would put the miracle that just happened just before this where uh, the friends bring and lower the guy who needed to be healed through the roof um, that that probably happened in that that Capernaum area in the winter time uh, which is an interesting point based on who's about to meet Jesus and be told to follow me so here he is at the shoreline again, again. And what is he doing as he's walking along? It says that he's teaching the crowds that were coming to him. Okay, they had no idea what going viral was at the time, right? But if there was a way to put it in context, Jesus was going viral, had gone viral. I mean, droves of people. Now you get on your phone and you watch a video of, of really impressive people and the things they do, or really not impressive people is also equally as entertaining. Um, but Jesus uh, was, again, authentic, authenticating who he was and the teaching, the message that he had with the miracles. And the miracles were spreading. I mean, crowds of people that needed to be healed were coming. And Pastor Dave pointed out last week that even in the time when he would perform these miracles, and there was more people coming that needed to be healed, and more people coming, and he decides to get away from that place to go to another place because he didn't come for the healing. He came to, uh, to bring a message of salvation to the people who needed to be saved and needed to be rescued. So uh, he's gone viral. There are crowds upon crowds upon crowds. But Jesus is predominantly a teacher. In fact, 45 of the 58 times in the New Testament that the Greek uses the word rabbi or teacher, uh, 45 of those 58 times is specifically talking about Jesus. The vital role of teacher is, clear, is clearly being validated by the Lord Jesus, being called this more than any other name in the New Testament. It's an important role. Uh, the Jewish people would have had a very specific understanding of the rabbi relationship, that teacher relationship. 
where that relationship would cause someone who wanted to, to be taught by or, or learn under, to be, uh, to be brought along by that rabbi or that teacher, um, that rabbi or teacher within the Jewish uh, religious system would have wanted that person to cling to the law, the Mosaic law. But Jesus is calling people, as we see throughout the Gospels, he's calling them to cling to him specifically, not to the law, but cling to me, follow me, is what we're about to see. But Jesus is teaching. He's teaching all of these droves of people that are coming to him. And it says in verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now let's pause for a moment because when you read the phrase, as he walked along, do you even stop to think about anything a little bit deeper than that? You're like, Lyle, come on, man. Like, it just says he's walking along. Your version may say, as he passed by, as he went. But it says that as he walked along, And then he saw. You know, Jesus has very clearly commanded us that as we go, we are to make disciples. Back in chapter 1, when he calls Peter and Andrew, it's precisely the exact same phrase. As he walked along, he saw. Here, as he walked along, he saw. We are all commanded as we go, as we walk along. As we pass by, as I went, I'm to make disciples. Which means I better see too. I better see too. Every step you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. (laughs) Now see, Jesus did not say that. But every step that he took, every move that he made, he was watching. Today, we have this little phrase that's become really popular. I'm I'm old now. I'm in that, I I feel like I'm in with my teenage kids. I feel like I'm old. And those that are older than me that scoff at my feeling old, I get it. I understand. Um, So I have no idea. All the time, I've mentioned this in the last couple weeks, like uh, time just is so fluid that like, Things that have happened, you know, recently are actually things that really happened a long time ago, and things that happened a long time ago sometimes feel like they just happened, and and you understand what I mean by that. So I really don't know this phrase that's pretty popular. Maybe it's been around a lot longer, but I feel like it's just maybe kind of hit a little bit of like pop culture and and is, is become more popular recently, but I could be wrong in that because I feel like I'm old. But how often have you heard somebody make something bigger out of saying, I see you. I see you. Somebody does something seemingly extraordinary. Or, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it can be as simple as uh, you're going along and and someone does something nice for somebody else and they look over and they say, I see you. I, I see you. It's become significant because we live in a culture where people don't feel like they're seen ever, right? So it became this little tiny statement of three words has become something, and maybe you've not heard that. 
I hear the teenagers that I coach say it fairly often. I've heard it on, on uh, uh, radio and TV. I, I, I hear it often. People making something out of this. What we would say, man, not so long ago, I feel like everybody thought, like, you didn't have to make mention of it specifically. Like, we saw each other. We noticed each other. This little tiny phrase, I think, though, draws attention to itself because of Jesus' choices. And it's a reminder for us today that we need to look up with our earthly eyes and look out with our spiritual eyes. Here's where the sub, 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 sub point of screen time comes in. You can see on the screen here, average screen time statistics in 2023. People, this is, this is not just the U.S., this is all the data that they've gathered uh, around the world, people who have screens, which now is almost everybody. But they spend an average of all people who have screens that they were able to, to data sample, six hours and 58 minutes of screen time a day. Daily screen time has increased by almost 50 minutes a day since 2013, so almost an hour has been added to screen time uh, in 10 years. The average American spends seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen every day, so we're over the average of the world. But South Africans at the top of the list spend 10 hours and 46 minutes on a screen every day. So if you wake up at 8 and go to bed at 10 at night, if you started watching a screen at 9, you don't stop looking at it until 8 at night. Almost half, 49% of zero to two-year-olds interact with smartphones. Gen Z averages about nine hours of screen time every day. So uh, it's not a soapbox moment on screen time today. But in light of that, this little phrase about as Jesus walked by, he saw. We need to look up with our earthly eyes, and look out with our spiritual eyes. It's possible for us to look up, but actually not see. How much important relational connection is being missed today? I mean, for those of us, I'm going to be 46 in a couple months. So for me and anybody in my demographic, we think back to the point of no phones and all of that is like not hard to imagine. And those not much younger than me can't, can't remember those times, right? How much relational connection is being missed? Because we just don't look up. And then when we finally do look up, because maybe our parents said, would you put the phone down? Would you listen to me? But that's the same, and I see... When I see folks who look like they've probably been married for 40, 50, 60 years in a restaurant, they're also looking at phones. <laughs> so let's not just throw the teenagers under the bus. I can throw myself under the bus and some of the grandparents in the room as well. It's possible that sometimes we look up, but we don't actually look out either. But every moment of every day, Jesus just showed us is an opportunity. An opportunity. Now, we hear the word opportunity, and you immediately know the idea of opportunity, not to miss the moment, seize the day or the moment, right? Every moment matters. It's interesting when you, when you get into the details of where we got the word opportunity. I'm becoming more like Dave every week. Okay? 
It comes from two Latin words, and those words mean for port. For port. It would have been used to describe the moment that a captain of a ship would have to to figure out based on the tides going up and the tides going down and the storms and all the details of while he's captaining that ship out in the harbor or the bay or there's a moment that he has to lead that ship safely into port and the word opportunity came from that description. Opportunity. The captain has to seize the moment to get to shore just at the right time. So missed opportunity would be like a picture of a captain of a ship just because there was no phone. So he'd look at the sky and sip his sweet tea and because I guess they're all southern, I don't know. But distracted, no focus, missing the opportunity. The guy who's in charge of getting the ship safely to port is just got his own version of screen time going on. Not looking up and not looking out at what the priorities are for him. Extrapolating that out for us today, I don't think it's a stretch to say, within the context of this passage of Scripture, it's like we're the captains of a ship. It's a cargo ship. The cargo is a cure. And the people who need the cure are the ones who are in port. A little phrase that reminds us that in the moment, Jesus seized the opportunity. He looked up with his physical eyes, out with spiritual eyes, the Holy Spirit controlling him, leading him, compelling him. And he made the most of every opportunity. It should remind you of Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. It reminds us that every step needs to be lived wisely. Every moment wisely, not as fools. You may, I memorized that of, of walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Why? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's a literal make the most of every opportunity passage from Paul to the church. Make the most of every opportunity. So church, let's remember, we need to look up. Let's cut our screen time down, probably. And sorry, teenagers, this is all the ammunition that your parents needed today to have a conversation in the car on the way home from church. So as he walked along, scripture continues, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, this is Matthew, the future writer of the Gospel of Matthew. Levi Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, if this story was being told to a Jewish audience, like we're reading through what's going on and Jesus is walking by the seashore and they hear music and birds and everything and it's such an amazing picture and all of a sudden, and he saw Matthew, he saw Levi Matthew. Oh, wow, it's cool that this guy gets to meet Jesus. He was a tax collector dun 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 it's like all of a sudden the the, uh, the the biggest villain you can think of okay just entered the story it was all fun and games while jesus is walking along the seashore but now we're talking about a tax collector 
rabbis at the time wrote about the tax collectors with words like murderer and robbers. The tax collectors were Jews that were uh, working for the Romans. There were taxes that needed to be paid, but the Romans were fine with whatever the tax collectors wanted to do to shake down or extort the money, to add surcharges to the tax, as long as they got what they were owed. So if the Romans said, you know, X is the tax, well, you can be X times, X plus, X to whatever exponential uh, value you want it to be. As long as we get ours, you can do whatever you want. And they did it with the protection and enforcement of the Roman centurion guard at the same time. So uh, these were, these were, you'd be so frustrated with these people. So at 16 years old, I'm driving my dad's work truck. I grew up in Saratoga, for those who didn't know. So I leave Saratoga. I'm driving up, I get off exit 18, I'm taking the back roads to go over to Glens Falls YMCA to play basketball. My dad's work truck had a problem, like, I don't even know if it had a muffler past the manifold. Like, it was loud, loud, loud. So, I go and play basketball, and I leave, and I'm coming back down through these little side roads, back to exit 18 to go south, and on one of those little tiny roads back there, cop pulls me over, 16, driving dad's truck. Uh, I get a ticket. I can't remember what the ticket was for, but I remember that when I got the bill in the mail, the actual charge, whatever it was, was 25 bucks, okay? I'm old, I know, 25 bucks, okay? But, but, as I'm looking through and I get to the total amount that's owed, it was, I think I remember it being like 250, 270, so it was 200 and some dollars. Now, I'm a 16-year-old, and I'm looking at that, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm, I feel so violated. Like, I cannot trust these people. Because I remember the officer said to me, like, it's a $25 violation. Like, it's no big deal. So when it comes and it's like, yeah, there's 25. But then there's the New York State surcharge, $75. And the tax. But somewhere in there is like this recording fee. And it was like 100 bucks. Now, just say, for instance, as, as frustrated as I was at 16, what if I went down to pay and I walk into the clerk or the court or whatever, and I walk in, and when I walk in, I look across the table, and it's my cousin Todd. And I'm like, Todd, awesome. Like, hey, I just got this. Like, who am I supposed to see? And he's like, you see me. I, actually, you pay me. And so I sit there with my cousin, and I'm like, I don't understand, like, all of this. Like, is there anything that you can do? Like, and he actually explains to me that he's the reason <laughs> that I owe all this extra on top of what the actual payment for the violation was. So all of these Jewish people are being robbed by their family continually. So when it says Jesus sees Matthew the tax collector, that's the emotion that if you were the one who had to pay the 200 and some bucks as a 16-year-old, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, do you know how hard I have to work to come up with 200 bucks? You know, and these folks are doing everything they can to survive. They're under this Roman rule, and now their own family 
is shaking them down, manipulating, stealing, robbing, described as murderers. It's a big deal that it's a tax collector. But what does he say to this tax collector? Continuing on, he says, follow me and be my disciple. What does the tax collector do? He gets up and follows him. Follow me and be my disciple, Matthew. Something must have already been at work. A lot of commentators that you read will talk about the laying out of Jesus being at the seaport back in the fall probably, and then he continues his ministry uh, in the Capernaum area, which is where he's the tax collector. So things like the guy being led down through the middle of the roof and the tax collector is probably hearing word on the street that that dude got healed. But crazy, the guy said, your sins are forgiven. Who does that? Because this guy is a sinner. And something's stirring in Matthew's heart. And Jesus is gone viral. And so Jesus walks by and has this little interaction with this man. We're going to watch a little clip I think is the best depiction of what happens in this passage right here. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? 
We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Hey, it's Dallas and the creator of The Chosen. And yes, season one of The Chosen. I, um, you watch that and part of you just like, your heart leaps for joy and another part of you is just like, just broken. Like, I, I'm not invited to your party. What are you talking about? I'm not allowed there. Follow me, Matthew. Your whole life is going to change. It's all going to be different. From the very first verse in the book of Mark, something different is coming. The Messiah is here. Everything is going to change. The way that you think things should work, Jesus doesn't operate that way. He says to this man, follow me. You see in that video, you see the look in the face of the other guys? Two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about the calling of the 12. And looking at the um, built-in um, uh, tension that Jesus puts in this group of men. But he says to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. Follow me. A couple of weeks back, we looked at the passage in Matthew 4.19 where is the, another parallel passage of the calling of Peter and Andrew. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that passage we talked about, and I drew on the board that day, if you remember, that we are called to follow him. You choose to follow Jesus. And when you choose to follow Jesus, he immediately, I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Jesus already starts a process of change in you. He immediately is already working in a process of change in Matthew's heart. Follow me. So he followed Jesus. Now you're being changed by Jesus for the purpose of being on mission with Jesus. Follow me and I will make you. There's the change process happening. Fishers of men. Now you're on mission with Jesus. What's his mission? Fishing for men. Seeing other men's lives change. Me introducing other men to Jesus so that Jesus can call them and say, follow me. And so he says, follow me. Go where I go. Walk in the steps of Jesus. Uh, probably, it, I, I think I was probably 22 or so, and I was uh, working down at the Bible Institute at the time, and I, would, I was coaching basketball, athletic director, and we would take teams down to New York City. A bunch of you are very familiar with all that. Well, all that time ago, this amazing friend of mine, Rick Warkin, was the guy that I would follow in my 15-passenger van as I was making my way with my full van and his full van down to various locations in New York City. I'm sure Sam today, this morning, is just grinning about this, this story already. Um, a man who's probably logged more hours in New York City with a 15-passenger van than anyone else in the world ever. So I'm supposed to be following Rick Workin, who uh, was head of Spanish ministry and was the soccer coach. And he'd been, he's gone down there a, a thousand times. And we're driving down to Sunset Park, Brooklyn, to Grace Church there. Uh, some of you have even been to that location. So it's my first time ever driving in New York City. 
I'd driven a 15-passenger van enough at this point, like around the Adirondacks. I mean, what could be different? <laughs> and back then, we actually could put 15 people in a 15-passenger van. So we're packed to the hill with college guys, and I'm basically a college guy, and I'm following Rick Workin. Um, and, and Rick is Rick. He's driving, doing his thing, going along. Now, r- reminder... Okay, this is not cell phone area era. Like, there's no screen time happening at this time. I don't have cell phone GPS. Like, we had this thing called MapQuest, <laughs> right, where you'd print out a 1,000 pages in order to get from here to Dollar General, okay? All right, so, so MapQuest was not really helpful, all right, because you're driving and you have this pile of papers. It's like a whole ream. You're, like, flipping it in the middle, like, no good, right? So you gotta, you got to really focus on who you're following, especially when you've never been to Brooklyn, never been to Sunset Park, have no idea. So along the way, though, we're, we're going across Brooklyn Bridge. Like, you know how distracting the city is as, at that time when you're driving over Brooklyn Bridge? So easy to, like, start, like, looking that way to see the skyline or all the, I, I've seen those, stack, those stacks in a movies before. Like, this is cool. You drive down into Brooklyn and everything's different. You're like, All right. All of a sudden, I have no idea where Rick is. No idea. I'm like, I'm just going to keep driving. I just like, I don't know. Like what? It's crazy to think back to that time because, you know, it would be like redirecting, redirecting, like your your GPS would be telling you to go somewhere else. Uh, It's just like a bunch of college guys that think it's great that we have no idea where we are. When we lose focus, we get distracted, we end up at different locations, different destinations, then where God really wants us to end up. You know, I could have chosen to just like continue to be distracted by all the cool things and just kind of drive around with a bunch of guys and be like, hey, let's just do whatever we want. And honestly, it probably would have been fun. Really, we probably would have like made the most of it, but we never would have ended up where God had called us to go in our life at that time to get to Grace Church in Sunset Park and to go into the parks the next day, preach the gospel and see many souls changed for Jesus. It's possible to have just completely lost focus. Thankfully, just not too far down the road, I ended up coming back behind the good old white 15-passenger van and followed Rick right to the destination that God wanted us to be at. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us to keep our eyes focused, fixed on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Today might be a, a calling in your life that you need to turn your eyes, like the hymn said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That your eyes may be focused on other things. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to not look up, to not look out. And maybe we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glorious grace. The parallel passages say that Levi left everything. The video kind of depicts that pretty well, where Gaius, the centurion, is saying, like, you have protection, you have money, you, have, you live better than any other Jew lives. He's out of there. He's leaving it all behind to follow Jesus. 
He was pretty focused on who he needed to follow. Later, in verse 15, Levi invited Jesus and the disciples to his home as dinner guests. It's the party that they had that night. Along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. At this time, Matthew doesn't know a whole lot, right? Doesn't know a whole lot. And it's not like he's grown up in Sunday school. It's not like he uh, is going to go out into, uh, we feel that way sometimes. We feel like God's put us in a situation to share the gospel. And maybe you've been like, I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm not good enough or whatever. And, and this is a great example of like, he just said yes to Jesus. And he does the only thing that he knows he can do, throw a party, invite people to come because he's chosen to follow Jesus, he's being changed by Jesus, and he's immediately on mission with Jesus to be fishers of men, invite people to come meet Jesus. And in that moment, we don't know the rest of the, the what happened that night. We only see a little tiny bit of it, but I mean, it's a whole party. So all these people are sitting around, they're, they're leaning on the tables and having a whole meal, breaking bread together. A lot of conversation happened. I'm sure he's telling his story about how Jesus told him to follow him. I don't know, but I, I'm following Jesus. He has a party, does whatever he knows to do. Some people have has described this passage as the dinner with the dregs. The dregs of life, a, a word that we don't use too often anymore. But in verse 16, the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating, Jesus eating with tax collectors and the other sinners, and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? In a parallel passage, it says that they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled, literally, Grumbling upon grumbling upon grumbling. They didn't just ask in a really nice way, why is he eating with those people? No, 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 no. They were ticked. They couldn't comprehend it. And I mean, this guy went viral. So now you have the guy who went viral, who claims to be the son of God, the Messiah, breaking bread with the tax collectors all of them, they all came together. And the other sinners, we don't know who all those people are, but the religious people definitely knew who they were. And Jesus says very clearly to every person at that party, I see you. I see you. He says, I see you to every Human, ever. That's why he can say, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why is that verse such a big deal in this context? Because the comparison was that these Pharisees, these religious people were saying, bind yourself to the law. And Jesus is saying, bind yourself to me. And the next verse in that passage, he says, take my yoke upon you. So light compared to what you're used to, the law. Do you know that th these guys struggled because what would have to happen in order for that picture to take place is 
repentance and forgiveness. There's a sin problem and a relationship with God problem. And Jesus seems to be solving both of them in a moment. That is completely absurd to them. In fact, they would have said, if you committed certain crimes, the only way that you'll actually be forgiven is when your life is taken. Okay, we don't have time to dig into that, but there would have been certain crimes that they would have said, oh, you've repented of that crime? Well, you won't be forgiven until you pay the price, which is actually your life. Where Jesus is saying, these are the worst of the worst, and they're fellowshipping with me. They come to me. He just forgave the sins of the guy who came through the roof. And he said, is it easier for me to say, stand up and walk, or forgiveness of sins? Well, I can't see the forgiveness of sins part. I can see the walking, and he forgives sins, and then he tells them to stand up and walk. Jesus heard their grumbles, heard, he probably felt their eyeballs searing on him. And he says, amazing answer that doesn't make sense to people who don't know Jesus, honestly. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call those who think that they are righteous uh, to, sorry, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Not people who think they're righteous, but people who know that they're sinners. Here is a room full of people who absolutely know where they are in a relationship with God based upon their sin. They have no standing before God on a basis of their sin. They need to repent of their sins, turn for their sins toward God, receive grace, Ephesians 2. They're, according to Ephesians 2, they're like dead men walking, spiritually speaking, and they need to be made alive in Christ. Jesus, like the great physician, diagnoses all of them immediately looks at this group and you guys think you're righteous you don't need me you think you're healthy you don't need me all of these people here they know that they're sick and that's who i'm here for in america every year approximately 40,500 people enter an intensive care unit every year and a misdiagnosis costs them their life that's a scary stat, right? Thankfully, we trust in Jesus. We give him the things we can't control. Misdiagnosis costs them their life. People walk around every day misdiagnosed and thinking that they're the ones who can solve their problems, can come up with their own cure. The religious thought that they had the answer to the cure. Obey the law. More law, more law, please. Can I have some more law, please? And all that was happening was outward change, nothing inward. Jesus said, I'm the great physician. I'm here to heal and bring the cure to the sick, the sinners. These guys were watching Jesus like Jesus is the doctor in the office. And they're saying to each other, like, why is it that every person that walks back there with him is sick? What is wrong with this doctor? Right? And it seems on our side so ludicrous, but they were so entrenched in their belief system of the law and, and, and the legalism of it. They just couldn't fathom that exactly what scripture said was happening. 
God sent his son and those who believe in him would be changed forever because he would pay a penalty that they could never pay. Sick with sin, exchange the sin for his righteousness. They thought they were righteous, but they really were sick with sin. And God diagnosed all of them, and he diagnoses us as well. Sick with sin, and Jesus is the cure. He is the great physician who is the one who perfectly diagnoses and the one who perfectly cures. This passage, I hope today, um, just maybe stirs us, connects us to who Matthew was a little bit better, what the tension of the moment would have been and how Jesus is dealing with sin, offering forgiveness, changing people's lives. Follow me. I will change you. You will go on mission with me. And now in that mission, you go invite other people so that I can say, follow me. It says that there were many of those sinners, those people who were like them, scripture said, were followers of Jesus. They had already given their lives to Jesus, said, we're going to follow you. Now, in John, we have a picture of a lot of people following Jesus. He feeds 5,000. That's just the, the men and the number. So a big number of people got fed. He goes away. The next day, all the people who got fed, they got dinner the night before. Where are they the next day at lunch? Looking for Jesus. Why? Because they want lunch. You gave me dinner? You're pretty awesome at that. I'm back here for lunch. And what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. I'm, he clears the, ta- the lunch table. And he puts himself on the table. What happens? The people who are described as followers of Jesus, they went away. In that famous passage, what does Jesus say to the disciples? Are you guys all going to go too? And Peter, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the son of the most high God. Where would we go? Peter followed him. And you know the moment that we see a picture in Scripture where Peter isn't following, keeping focused? Scripture says he's following from a distance. The passage always strikes me. He was following from a distance when he denied God, he denied God, he denied God. Today, let's get our eyes up physically, get our eyes out spiritually. God, what opportunities are out there for me that I need to, I need to make the most of this moment? Keep your eyes focused on the one who's ahead of you that you've said, I will follow you. And don't give in to the distractions. Don't start driving around Brooklyn doing what you want to do. Because the next day, God's got a plan for you to lead people to Jesus. So this week, I'm going to be praying for you that the Lord would put people right in your sight line. And you can introduce them to Jesus so that Jesus can call out and say, follow me. Would you pray with me? Father God, we... We humbly sit before your word and ask that you would use it to wash over us, to change us, to renew us. Lord, I pray this passage would just be something that just sits on our hearts and our minds all week. Lord, again, that we would be praying for each other, for this ministry, and that, that Lord, as we sow seed and water seed, you would bring a harvest. Lord, thank you for the passion of your church family here, your kids who love you follow you. They're being changed by you. They're on mission with you. Lord, I pray for those that are are here today who um, have not followed you. Um, Lord, if there's some that are here today that have heard this, I I pray that you um, 
would use any one of us, uh, the foolishness of this preaching today, whatever it is, to hopefully shed some light into their heart and their life. I hope today that they see clearly that you see them. They are not looked through or passed by. You love them. You died for them. You invite them to believe in you. You invite them to cast all of their cares, their concerns, their burdens on you. Lord, I pray that today um, all of us here would maybe focus a little bit more intently and our eyes would constantly be turned to you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.